Welcome to the first ever episode of Homebrew Cauldron, the podcast where we talk about homebrew and how to be a good game master. I'm Big J. And I'm Byte. And today, we're going to be taking a quick look at starting level, starting equipment, and anything and everything to do with how your players start the game. Hey, you, you know what? I don't need no stupid game to tell me how to have fun. I'll do it all on my own. If you think Poop Dragon's hard, you should never play Diarrhea Thor. Fifteen potions of healing, and a spell scroll of true strike. Actually, he has to roll a disadvantage because his target's five feet away from him, and he's using a range attack. The first thing we wanted to talk about, and it's always the, the first thing you think of if you've ever done any type of tabletop gaming before, and that's something called Session Zero. Real quick, Bite, can you tell the folks out there what a Session Zero is? Yeah, so a Session Zero is more or less where you get a bunch of people that you want to be in your game, put them in, them in a world. Sometimes you're just having a powwow. You don't even put them in the world. Um, and you typically just want to get them used to each other and get used to you as players and game masters. Now, see, that's a little bit different from the ideas I've always had about Session Zero. When I, when I hear GMs talk about Session Zero, my thought process is that's where everyone gets together for the first time and you talk about how you make your characters. You actually, the Session Zero is the one where you all sit together and actually get your characters on paper if you're using Roll20 in the system. And maybe the GM talks about um, like the world's backstory or what's going on there. And you might do a little bit of actual gameplay. But um, it, a lot of times it's not even any gameplay. It can just be actually getting everything together and ready for session one. Absolutely. And that's often the original way that session zeros were created. And the reason they're there for. But in a lot of new modern games with the access to technology that we have, we don't really need to get together to create character sheets. And oftentimes we don't even need to get together to you know, lay down the ground rules. Oftentimes we're making sure that everyone's on the same page with what we want from the game, what we're doing at the table, and then kind of putting the, the players into a small, maybe 30-minute little self-contained adventure just to get them used to your game master style right and i i think the best way to put it is if you're doing a in-person game especially on pencil and paper i think a session zero is mandatory but if you're just using roll 20 i think maybe the lesson here is you can probably get away without doing it yeah i agree i think one caveat to that is that if you're doing something online with roll 20 you definitely want to have an incubation period where you're just talking to your players, making sure that they understand the rules, understand the character sheets, and 
you're all just on the same page before you get into the first session. Oh, for sure. But um, I'm not sure there's much more to be said about a session zero. I think uh, unless you're a brand new GM, this is probably a term you've heard before. So I think we can keep this train moving right along. So the next thing I want to talk about is rolling initial stats. There's a few different systems you can do for this. The one that I typically go to the most is point by. It's simple. It's efficient. It gets the job done. And it's actually very versatile. You can kind of limit how much power you want your, your players to start with or just choose to give them a lot of initial power by giving them different numbers of points. And how this works is, if you're unfamiliar, there's a certain amount of points you get. So for standard is 15. You have 15 points starting at 10 for each stat. And you can just let them allocate those points how they want, and they can gain extra points by dropping a stat below 10. Right. And um, I think it's important to mention that when we speak about things like as far as actual mechanics, uh, we're assuming that most of our audience is going to be playing either Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder, both of which, um, at least up until recent editions, have used very similar uh, stats and mechanics. Um, and I think that's just important to annotate there. But while point by certainly has its strengths and allows the GM to be much more in control of the strength of the party, um, getting rid of random dice rolls does eliminate some of the fun of making a character for the players. Because part of that fun of rolling for your stats, it, it, it gives you an illusion, if not actually, depending on how you're rolling, of risk. For example, a system I use a lot is I'll have, for each stat, I'll have the players roll 46, re-roll ones, and then keep the highest three for each stat. Now, what this does is it kind of makes it very difficult to have a really low stat or a really high stat. So all the stats are going to be very close to mean generally, but it still gives that illusion of risk. It makes it more fun because when the player rolls the dice, they go, oh, no, I wonder what I'm going to get. And um, both systems have their strengths and um, and the both systems have their weaknesses, you know? Yeah, and I want to point out that your system is a homebrew system, but it really strikes me as an improved version of your standard roll of D20 for each stat. Well, well thank you. Thank you. Uh, I believe the next thing we were going to speak about, uh, if I am recalling correctly, would be um, character introductions. And wh what I mean by character introductions is that's just how, when you first have that first session, and we're not talking about session zero, we're having talking about session one here. At some point, the players have to, their characters have to come together. They have to meet each other or speak, and there's a lot of ways to do this. Um, a lot of times, uh, especially with, uh, and I don't want to call anyone out here, but with lazier GMs or maybe, um, and even I don't want feel like that's too strong of a way of saying it, but sometimes it'll just be, oh, you, oh, your character, your characters already know each other. But it can be really fun to create, like almost intentionally create a little bit of awkwardness and friction as those characters meet and converse for the first time. Yeah, and I don't want to 
have new GMs be scared of their standard, throw them in a tavern, and what do you do? Because I think that that's a really solid way to start out an introduction. It forces them to interact with each other, and it gives you an opportunity to maybe throw in a plot book later right. if, on. If, you, if it's your first time, I, I mean, that's a great way to do it. But if you're trying to experiment and maybe get a little bit more uh, creative with it as you mature as a GM, uh, something a GM of mine did a long time ago that really hit me of how ingenious it was is he started us all out on a ship. And as the ship was about to hit port, and we were all just random passengers, and there was NPCs as passengers as well, but as the ship hit was about to hit port, a problem happened, and the ship stopped. So all the passengers are talking about how to fix the problem, and obviously in that situation, your player characters are eventually going to have to kind of interact and meet each other. And it was a really, I think it was a really ingenious way of getting the characters to, you know, be introduced to each other in game and it was executed really well and i think it is easy to overthink or underdo that initial introduction yeah and this is kind of a twist on your standard trope of the players are traveling and disaster strikes while they're traveling and they have to fix the problem and i think that that's a good way to to look at productions is you can Put a twist on a trope to change it up and make it original, but you know that those tropes are solid and will typically work. I don't think I could have put it better myself. I I think that's all she wrote on that one. Next thing I want to talk about is in the same vein, how many characters or players you want in your campaign? Because with character introductions. It's going to make a lot a lot of a difference if you have three characters or six characters, or maybe it's just a one-on-one. Um, yeah, I, that's, that's certainly true. But I, I would almost think, and, and this is coming from me, and I, I have a lot of combat when I run my campaigns, which some people like and some people don't. But I think one of the biggest limiters for how many people you can have as far as a maximum is going to be how fast are you going to be able to run combat? Because I've been I've been a player in games with six or more. Play, I've been a player in games with six or more other players, and it just it ends up bogging down combat because you you're just waiting for your turn. You spend most of your time at the table sitting waiting for your turn in combat to come around, and it's not it ends up not being fun for anyone. I think that magic number of players is right around three. To four, because I think with three to four players, you get a good mix of abilities in the party, like your casters, your healers, your fighters, etc. But it's still a manageable number as far as social interactions go, and to run as combat as a table as a GM. And not just combat too. If you have six players and you're doing a social encounter, everyone just kind of gets bored while they're waiting for the next person, the other five people to talk to the barmaid or they want to investigate this politician and people become disengaged a lot of the times. Now it's not to say never run six players because a lot of the time GMs work best with six players. I think no, it's really down I, to I'm the I'm going to stop you right players. there. I, I'm, you're not quite as bold as me, but uh, I'm going to say never do six players. Five, maybe, but I, I would say never on six. 
but I'm a little bit more of an extremist. <laughs> well, that's true, but I think that I'm also a big proponent of just one-on-one campaigns as the GM and one player. I really enjoy those campaigns, but I know that they're not up everyone's alley. Yeah, and that's something I have no experience with personally. I've always had at minimum three players. Uh, I've often had four, and I've, I have done five before. I've never done six, but I have gone up to five. I've never done a one-on-one, um, and I assume that that's done way differently than you normally would. Absolutely. Done very differently. Um, I believe our next topic for today was going to be, and this is one that, this is the topic where you're going to have very different things said between GMs and players, and it's it can get a little confrontational, and that's items and starting gear, specifically uh, what you're providing to the player, because, and there's a lot of different styles of doing this. Um, most GMs will, and not all, but I'd say at least 60%, will just give starting gold out, and that's it. And for seasoned players, there's no problem with that whatsoever. That's almost never going to go really badly. You can get a little bit out there, but generally it's going to go pretty pretty well. However, when you have newer players, that's not always a good idea. Because a lot of your newer players, like especially brand new, aren't going to understand what items they need to be prioritizing. So one of the things I always like to do is I always like to give not just starting gold out to my players, but I'll give some items. Like I'll say maybe you get one one-handed melee that costs within this. Um, some games, like Pathfinder I know does. I'm not entirely sure if D&D does. It's been a while. But I know Pathfinder actually has uh, in their equipment like uh, specific kits for each class. So I'll give each player like their class kit and maybe one weapon or maybe one armor. Now, nothing crazy, but just something basic. That way I know that at least some of the money is going towards equipment they're actually going to need. Yeah, and I'm going to be a little bit bold here, and I'm sure you might disagree with this, but I really enjoy just giving each player one tailored very cheap magic item just to spice it up a little bit. Oh, I'm I'm not opposed to that at all. I think that's a great idea, especially if you're running a higher level party. Now, folks, this is where things are going to get a little hairy because on this next topic, myself and Bite uh, disagree quite a bit on. So I'll, I'll let you uh, take that one away before we get too into it. Yeah, so this is starting level. And now, most new GMs just immediately start at 1. I mean, it's a natural reaction. The game almost wants you to start at level 1. But a lot of GMs start at level 3, 5, even 0. Um, yes, I always... Uh, my And this again, this is starting level, so this is something that's going to be specific to D&D or Pathfinder. But I do not... Uh, maybe level two, but I will never start a party at level one as far as um, g- general play goes. There's maybe strange situations where I might do that, like if I'm, I'm going for a certain aesthetic in the game. But for just regular play, 
I'm almost always going to start them at level three. And I truly believe that's the best level to start at because it's a good combination. One, at level one, especially in D&D, your character can't do a whole lot, especially if you're a sorcerer or any type of arcane caster. You're going to be basically useless. You're not going to be having a whole lot of fun because most of your spells do next to nothing. And you just you don't have any cool abilities yet. Whereas at level three, you're starting to get some cool abilities. Even the casters are starting to get a little bit of stuff. But you're still kind of weak. So the GM, as a GM, when your players are level three, you still can kind of throw them some of the like weaker monsters that are tropey, like goblins and stuff, and it'd still be a challenge. But it's a high enough level, but the party's still going to have fun. So for me, I say 99% of the time, level three is the best level to start with, hands down. I don't necessarily completely disagree with you. Level 3 can be a great starting level, and I will do it probably 50% of the time. It's more if players want to start at a little bit of a higher level. But I really enjoy those level 1 starting campaigns where the players can really feel like they're coming into their character, and they really feel like they're progressing in the beginning, and it, it kind of acts as like a plot hook there. They're in it to stay because they want to. They want to see their characters grow powerful from this weak little baby form that they're starting with. Right, and and but my 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 counterpoint to that is that same baby form starting place doesn't allow for as interesting a backstory. And, and bear with me on this. If I want my character to say be some ancient Egyptian, he used to be a, a soldier in the army. He can't be a level one. That doesn't make sense. He doesn't have enough life experience or experience in his profession or craft to be a level one. He'd have to be higher level. So I, I feel like while, yes, it could be fun with like a specific game style to start at level one, I think for your average campaign, level three is just a better hands down starting level. That's a really fair point. And I think this really depends on the type of games you typically run. Because I typically run the kind of game where they're kind of younger adventurers that want to join a guild or or just kind of thrown into this situation that they have to deal with. And I'm not as experienced with games where there's characters from just all walks of life and you're you're pushing them all together to do this massive campaign. Right, which is exactly what almost all of my campaigns are, as um, you have noticed, since uh, you're in a campaign I'm running, and I'm in a campaign you're running right now. Um, my campaigns are very, uh, you know, we're going to go save the world, you know? <laughs> and those campaigns are really fun, if you know how to run them right. And I'm a little bit more new to running those kinds of games. I'm used to the little bit smaller scale that works up as the player's level. Yeah, and I'm not saying by any means I would never start at level one. There are specific situations where I think it actually would be better to start at level one. I just strongly think 99% of the time, level three, like if you're just doing a standard run-of-the-mill campaign, I think level three is is the way to go. And it doesn't sound like we disagree as much as we thought. Well... This next idea that I have, you might disagree with. Oh, boy. We've talked a little bit about starting at 1, 3, but there's an idea that I've really liked to play with, which is starting with zero levels. And the first adventure, the, the intro adventure, 
is all of the characters gaining their first level. They're discovering their magic or that they're good with a sword or that they really want to worship this deity. I think that's an idea that sounds really cool on paper, but I, I, and I'm not saying it'd be impossible, but I, 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 and I don't even want to say I doubt that it could be done. I think the best way to say it would be, I think that would be really, really difficult to pull off. Like you would, you, it would, it would take a masterful hand to put that together in a way that was practical and worked just because so many of like so much of what the actions you're taking in game, basically everything that's not role play is determined by your level and starting as the characters as what you're saying essentially as NPCs would eliminate the ability to do so many things inside and outside of combat. And yes, this requires a lot of homebrew to, to throw in. You have to kind of pick and choose what first level abilities you want to give them, even though... Okay, so we're not talking them. about level zero. We're talking about, like, level 0.5. Yeah, I guess that's closer. Okay, okay, that's a bit different. Now, that said, I think you can get away with starting as NPCs, but you'd need to have a party that was on board with that idea, because that's, that's going to be a hard sell to the average party. And... It's going to take a really light touch to pull that off. Yes, you need a lot of planning to go into this type of campaign. This is the kind of, I don't want to say like high budget, but higher end, more time spent into planning it before it starts. Oh, very high effort for sure. Well, uh, unless you had anything else, I think that's going to be about it for us today. Yeah, that's about all I had to say. Okay, folks, well, this has been the very first episode of Homebrew Cauldron. Feel free to uh, contact us. Uh, we Our main streaming platform is Anchor, which does provide various ways for you to contact us, leave your questions, comments, concerns, gripe, moans, and complaints, and we may or may not get right on those at our discretion. I make zero promises. <laughs> Until next time, this has been Homebrew Cauldron. <laughs>